Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, October 22nd, 2023, called Through the Eyes of Matthew, Trick Questions, or Trip Questions, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Okay, so there's an outline if you want to look at that in Matthew 22, or if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to look at that. Just a reminder, this is Holy Week. Don't forget, it's just a couple days before the crucifixion. So things are coming to a head. Things are getting down to it. And so Jesus is there in Jerusalem, and he's teaching. And uh, man, we get, a, we get a, a really kind of a weird situation. The circumstances are odd. It's unique. In the, in the New Testament, this, uh, this strange alliance, and they, they come to Jesus. And it's interesting, I'm thinking of trick questions, because this is what they're trying to do, trick questions. I remember I did this with a high school kid when I was teaching high school in Seattle. Um, I don't know how our high school teachers do it today, and even in middle school, uh, to keep kids from cheating. You know, like here, I got to do a paper, a book report on Tom Sawyer, and I just go to Google, you know. I don't know, I, you guys, I'm proud of our teachers because they work really hard at making that. And there are mechanisms to be able to check kids' phrasing and things like that. But boy, different than when I was, I had no way of checking. And, my, and yet I found a kid who was copying his, um, his buddy's homework all the time. He was never doing any work. And so he was copying his buddy's homework. And I had, the infor- I had it. I had, the, I had the receipts, so to speak. And uh, so I called him in, and I go, Matt, I go, Matt. And so I phrased the question this way. This is why it's a trick question. I said, so, have you stopped copying Bill's homework? And he didn't know how to respond to me. Because if he says yes, what's he admitting to? That he's been copying his homework. And if he says no, he's still copying his homework. So it's a trick question, right? It's a trick question. Jesus is not unfamiliar with getting trick questions. Let me review with you. In fact, this would be a fun study for yourself to think of all the times when Jesus like answers a question with a question, where they're trying to trick him or trap him, and he uses a question to answer a question. So let me give you a couple of examples. So for instance, the woman is brought to Jesus, caught in adultery, blatantly caught in adultery. It's always odd that they didn't bring the dude too, but whatever. It's very culturally horribly unfair. But anyway, they bring the woman caught in adultery. What should we do? What should we do? And, um, and Jesus goes, so which of you has never sinned? Right? So that's what they're saying. What should we do? Is he a brute or does he light on the law? Or here's, a sec- here's another one. Um, oh, they come to Jesus and say, um, by what authority do you teach? And he says, well, I'm not going to answer that question. By what authority do you think John taught? John the Baptist. Well, they can't answer, right? Because if they say, well, he wasn't from God, then all the crowds hate him. And if he says he was from God, then he agrees with Jesus. So it's a trick question. Here's another one. Your disciples uh, and you violate the Sabbath. What's the deal with that? And he uses the famous phrase, well, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. But he then says, and which of you, if you have a donkey or an animal or something and it falls in a hole on the Sabbath, you won't go down? Would you go down and get him out of there? And they don't answer him. So on and on he asks these questions. Or how about this one? 
The famous one about, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers with, have you heard the one about the Good Samaritan? Right? I don't like the answers Jesus gives because he poses them in questions they can't answer. So they're trying to turn the tables on him with this one. So it's Holy Week, and they lay this one out. And, and essentially here, let me show you the picture, if you've got the picture of the coin. This is the coin that's referenced in there. And this actually is a, a real coin. It's out of a museum. So a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. It was typically a day's wage. And so you had to pay that tax. And I can't remember. So in some cases it was quarterly. In some cases it was annually or monthly or whatever it was. They had to pay. They used this coin. Now, it's Latin on, the, on these sides. So like on the right one, it's pontiff maxim. It means high priest. Pontiff, right? So like the Pope, it kind of comes out of that. And maximum, high priest. And then on the other side, it's the divine son of Caesar. That's what it says. So there are three problems here for Jews. Can you point them out? Who can give me one? Come on, you talk to me. Three problems. High priest. What's another one? Divine son. Got another problem. Sorry? Thou shalt not make unto thyself a graven image. We combine that. By the way, in the Lutheran tradition, we combine that with the first commandment. And so we number them differently than other Protestant groups. But that's no other gods, no graven images. So we have a graven image. Jewish money today, their coins and stuff, has no human being on it. It's uh, plants and trees, you know, it's things like that. A bird, you know, stuff like that on Israeli shekels. So Jesus says, give me the coin. Who's, in, who's on it? Well, Caesar's on it. And, and then you have one of the quotes that even people who are not followers of Jesus or not religious know this quote, right? Give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what's God. I almost think Jesus gives them a trick answer. Right? What's not God's, by the way? It's like when people say, well, that was a God thing. And I always want to go, what's not? But I get what people are saying. Boy, we could really see God's fingerprint there. Wow. It was like, hit me in the face. But, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like a trick answer to a trick question. It's not, though. Jesus is using this as a tremendously opportune um, time to teach. He's going to teach them something significant about the kingdom. Because they're getting their kingdom thinking wrong. And they got a, it's a mess. Because remember, they got Romans ruling over them. They got Jewish religious leaders trying to rule over them. You get what I mean by that? If you don't obey the law, we got you. Whack, whack, whack. They're keeping score. That's the thing we've been talking about a lot with Matthew. They're doing a lot of scorekeeping. And so here's how it lays out. I want to give you four things on this to chew on and ponder. And I don't know, I felt like I don't know, I hope I have my thoughts organized well enough. I hope it blesses you a little bit, a point or two here. But here's where I think, for me, the most significant point is how you ask the question matters. I think we sometimes, so for this sermon to have an impact, I think, I'm going to challenge us to say, do we sometimes approach God like the Pharisees did? Let me make my case for you. Um, they have an unholy alliance. This is point number one. 
And point number one, this is a caution for us. You know the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Uh, not always. Not, not always smart. Sometimes we think, you know, as long as we have a common enemy, I'm going to ally with you. That has not always worked out well. I mean, even if you take one of the great examples from American history, say in World War II, allying with the Soviet Union that shared virtually no values with us, no governing principles of the same, treatment of citizens and so forth, completely different, completely different worldview. But because Nazi Germany was such a threat, we threw in our case. And, and, and yes, okay, we win. We win. Whatever you could say, war is winning. We're still here. And you can debate this with me over a beer another time sometime. But boy, it led to 45 years of Cold War because of what I would call a, an unholy alliance. And you can use that. I mean, even take Afghanistan. The guys that were are running the show over there, first the Russians were allies with them, then we were allies with them. Now who are they allies with? And people die. And our, the things that we value and the things that we hold as rights... We've made alliances solely for the reason to say that's a common enemy. These two groups, the Pharisees, so the Pharisees hated the Romans, hated them. That's why they hated tax collectors, agents of Rome. The Herodians are an interesting group. They allied themselves with King Herod, who was sort of Jewish. He grew up in Rome in the court of Caesar. And because he was kind of part Jewish, they put him in charge of the Galilee, that province. And so they allied, and they, they hate each other. They despise each other. They hate each other, but they hate Jesus more. And they are going to try to get him. Here's my point on that. As I read that, I went, this is intriguing. I don't think it's ever a good idea to sacrifice your, vali your values to ally with someone. I don't think it's good. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You need no other ally. You need no other ally than he who is the truth and the life and the way. So, um, but here's where, and this is my, kind of my law point because this is the one that kind of hit me. Because right now, and, and there's lots of people we need to keep in prayer and you see them in our prayers and we have people that are really wrestling with cancer. It's come back with a vengeance. It's hard. It's hit and it's, it's coming. I just was working with uh, Hernings because they were. We did Art's funeral yesterday. It was it was good, but it's still hard. It's a hole. We have. I've got a buddy who's just had to do a suicide funeral, and we see people losing jobs. We see people struggling with, uh, uh, you know, financial dilemmas. We see people wrestling with uh, the contention in the world, and oh my goodness, if you're in the in the Middle East right now or in Ukraine, but boy, the Middle East, what's your way? And how do you get justice and mercy? How do you find leaders who lead that, that truly care for human life all across the board and at all times? I mean, you know, so here's the thing. How do we begin phrasing questions to God? God, what are you doing? When are you going to step to the plate? Come on, God, I'm on your team. When are you going to cure this, fix this, hire this, provide this? When are you going to, 
When are you going to be God? Are you with me? You don't have to be. But do you get what I'm saying? I'm afraid. They came to him asking a question, and you heard how it was. I gave it away. Oh, we know how holy you are, Jesus. Gosh, you, you just always speak the truth. They hate them. They hate him. And they're just, you know, gaslighting. Oh, Jesus. Tell us the truth. They don't want the truth. He always tells them the truth. And I'm afraid that I'm guil- I've been guilty of that. Lord, when are you going to be the God I need you to be? Or that I want you to be? When are you going to step in? When are you going to stop the murdering of infants? When are you going to stop fighting over dirt? When are you going to fight, you know, stop? When are you going to step in? And that's what I think happened. I think that's the caution here. Here's how, so point number one for me is, here's my counsel to say how we ask the question matters. When we come to God, it's to ask not as the unfaithful, because that's how they asked, didn't they? They don't believe. And when I challenge God like that, and I say, God, when are you going to be God? In other words, when are you going to do it the way I want you to do it? Isn't that what we ask sometimes? No? You never do? When are you going to do it the way I want you to do it? That's asking as the unfaithful. And the faithful ask differently. It's Lord Jesus, I know you're in charge. I know you love me. You proved it. I know the tomb is empty. I know that in my baptism you called me your very own. I know that in faith you chose me as your bride and your beloved. I know that when I come to the table, you feed me. I know that when I hear your word, I know your promises. I know all that to be true, and I do not understand this. Help me understand. And if I don't understand, keep being Jesus for me. That's our prayer in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Your way, not mine. I don't get it. I'm still going to ask. And God doesn't care that you, don't, that you ask. But how we ask. Lord, I want to know. I want to believe. I want to walk. Strengthen my faith so that I might walk where you're leading. That's a bold confession of faith when we say, I see the circumstances of the world. My God is still in charge. The God I worship, the God I know, is still in charge. Second thing, second thing. So then they lay out this, you know, they had this plan to trap Jesus, right? They, they, they got it, man. You could just see how they worked for weeks on getting this figured out. I'm going to talk, and you don't talk, and this is how we're going to phrase it. And they had this all laid out. It reminded me of a time when I was pastor in Portland. I had a men's retreat, and it was, and it was guys that I was hoping to, to develop into servant leadership. So the whole retreat, was about a dozen of us all together, and we went to the Oregon coast, and it was really, I, had, I spent a couple of weeks preparing scripture and Bible study and work on servant leadership. What does it mean to lead as, a, as one who serves? Man, it was good, too. I was so proud of myself. It was just so great. And we launch into the very first day, and right at the beginning, I, one of the young men who I had asked to come said, I I don't know that I'll understand any of this. I am so angry at God right now because I grew up in, in a place in which my stepfather abused me horribly for years. 
Will, what do you think happened to my plants? And that group of men, they were so great, just surrounded him and taught him what servant leadership was. But far better than I ever could have. I had my plans all, I had it all figured out. I had a whole agenda, man. I sat. And they taught me what servant leadership is. This is the point, number two. The best laid plans. They think they've got a plan. They've got them trapped. This leads to a tremendous teachable moment. That moment in that retreat with those men, that was a tremendous teachable moment. Jesus was ready to teach me and us something, and he did it. Boy, we could have gotten in the way of that. So this is a teachable moment that Jesus is, is, is taking available. Um, you know, God, I, this is a great phrase that I love. You know what? God never asks about your ability, but he does ask about your availability. So when we're available to allow God to teach, are you ready to let him teach? Point number three, here's what Jesus is doing. He's defining the kingdom of God. Now, we have lots of words from Jesus on the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like a sower. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who had two sons. On and on and on. Jesus has all his teaching about kingdom. He's going to get right down to it here. Because what they're trying to do is pose. They're trying to say, look, do we serve Caesar or do we serve God? What do we do? And Jesus is not going to get trapped. He's going to teach. Here's the point. They want to define it. The portrait is a graven image. The, the claim to high priesthood is a, is a claim that, uh, that is a position they are claiming that is not theirs to claim. And the divinity, the divine son of Caesar. Um, here's the point. If you look at this, don't, in our lives, here's the two things. Don't make Caesar God. And secondly, don't make God Caesar. The one elevates Caesar way too much. And the other one demeans God. And this is what I mean by that. Don't make Caesar God. That the things of this world and this life, that, all, that the time we spend on arguing nabobs, the nattering nabobs of the media and so forth, and, and all the stuff we hear, the constant stream of information that's trying to get us to pick sides and think that the most important things are happening are happening in Washington, D.C., when the most thing, important things that are happening are happening in your homes and in your heart. So don't make Caesar God. He doesn't deserve it. Put not your trust in princes. Don't make a political party and ideology. Don't make them God. Don't deserve it. Don't deserve it. And in the same way, don't put God in second place. Don't turn God into Caesar. That's Jesus' counsel here. That's what Jesus is calling them to do. Here's what I love about this. So Martin Luther King Jr., who I think is a fascinating character because he, he did some amazing things and he had some very clay feet fascinating human in story, but boy, he had some interesting insights. And he I read a little piece he did on the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said, you know, as you look at that parable, different, a guy is beaten up by robbers and he's left for dead. And then Jesus poses this question, who will help this guy? What happens when you come across a person in need? Because he's answering the question. What's the question he's answering? Who is my neighbor? So, right, it's, it's three, whatever, it's two religious guys that walk by. And then comes the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan. If you're an Israeli, it's a member of Hamas. 
If you're an American, it was Osama bin Laden. And he stops. Why? Here's, here's King's read on it. He said, here's what happened and what Jesus was doing in that parable. What Jesus was showing is that those first... Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's good for church. And, and he's saying in the first two that pass by, they're asking this question. What will happen to me if I help him? And the third guy, the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, changes the question and says, what will happen to him if I don't? And that's what Jesus is posing here. Because you see, for Caesar, it's about us. And here's the irony. When it's about God, it's about us also. But when it's for Caesar, it's us going that way, honoring that way. And when it's God's, it's God honoring us. Here's the difference. Caesar is all about transactions. That's a transactional relationship with our authorities, government, taxes, all that stuff. That's transactional. You give me this, you get this. You give me this, you get this. And Jesus is trying to teach, but your relationship with God is intimate, family, personal. It's about relationship and not transactions. And so what Jesus is giving to them is a taking an opportunity to teach that critical thing, point four, that option C is what he's after. Christ followers. Christ followers. Who do we give this to? When they heard this, they were amazed. And here's the point. Here's the point of this. What, God is, what Jesus is really teaching them to do is, here's, here's what we do in our lives. If your life is like this, let's say it's a pie. Say it's a big old Costco pie. And you cut that up into slices, right? And then you say, okay, here's my family slice. Here's my school slice. Here's my retirement savings slice. Here's my recreation slice. Here's my, I got to mow the lawn slice. Here's the whatever, right? And here's my religious slice. Your pie is cut up wrong. What Jesus is wanting to remind them is this. You got all those pieces, right? You can figure out. You, some of you might have 30 slices going. But if, one, if your slice is your relationship to Christ, it's going to be a problem. What, G, what God is longing for is our relationship with Christ impacts every slice of the pie. How do I treat my neighbor? How do I respond to the government? With defiance, with hatred? I mean, to be honest, you, you heard the Acts passage. The disciples say, we've got to obey God rather than men. Here's the thing that's interesting about that. And we'll take the consequences. A lot of times we like to complain about the government or authority, but we don't want to take the consequences. But it, it's okay. You can exercise. Go for it. Exercise your opinion. You just got to know that we still submit. But we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. We're not going to stop bearing the name of Jesus. But what we're saying is that relationship with Christ seasons every single thing. How, what my marriage looks like, how I treat my kids, education, savings, recreation, all those things. What Jesus is saying is it's not A or B, it's C. Christ above all, eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is my point for us. I'm hoping that we can look at that and say because Christ longs to inform every one of those things in our life and bless us there. 
And that doesn't mean that you're, you're all of a sudden a millionaire. I'm not talking about that. But that he gives us perspective. Which will endure? What will last? What will have the great impact? You know what's funny? You, the, reason, the big reason you don't want to make Caesar God is Caesar's dealing with little stuff. And God deals with the big stuff. Who we are, why we're here, and how we live. And so Jesus is saying, I'm offering you option C. Eyes on Jesus, seeking him first, seek me first, and everything else will come. It all comes in Christ. For he has sought us out, and we are his. To God be the glory, now and always. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.